Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash WJK. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Advanced Accelerator Applications, a Novartis company. Welcome to this Peer Voice panel discussion on radio ligand therapy for prostate cancer. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professors Karim Fazazi and Ken Herman. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I'm Karim Fizazi, medical oncologist at Gustavus C Institute in Villeneuve, France. Welcome to this activity on targeted radioligand therapy for patients with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. Joining me in this program is my great friend and colleague, Professor Ken Herman from the University of Essen in Germany. Welcome, Ken. I'm very happy and excited to be here, Karim. Thanks. So, in this first session, we'll discuss the rationale for establishing PSMA positivity and the clinical pronostic variables that can impact treatment decision in patients with advanced metastatic castration-resistant disease who have exhausted typically an androgen receptor pathway inhibitor and a taxane. For those of you who are not familiar with PSMA, this is a transmembrane protein very frequently expressed in men with advanced prostate cancer. And actually, lutetium PSMA is a radioligand that targets this uh, protein so that then the radioisotope can irradiate the uh, prostate cancer cells and hopefully kill them. So we have now data from one and actually two phase three trials on top of several randomized phase two trials. But the very first one to uh, be shown and, uh, and to, uh, uh, to uh, display data actually is called the VISION trial. It came out approximately two years ago, back in 2021. And actually, this was a trial randomizing patients who had exhausted one AR pathway inhibitor and one taxane minimum, and actually approximately 40% of them had exhausted two taxane, and they were randomized for standard of care with or without lutetium PSMA. The two co-primary endpoints of radiographic progression-free survival and overall survival were both significantly improved with a reduction in the risk of 60% and 40% approximately, respectively, which, of course, was very important. So I think this set a new standard of care for these patients. But of course, we're here today to discuss what are the pros and cons and whether this came together with other benefits, but also with some drawbacks for the patients. So Karim, I have two questions, which maybe also some of our listeners have. Is the the difference in median overall survival is four months. You see everyday patients. Is this a significant prolongation of life expectation? And the second question I would love to hear, because you're also the first author of the corresponding paper, how does the quality of life compare in both arms in this very interesting study. 
Sure. Uh, th- those are, are key questions. I fully agree with you. Well, four months may be regarded as important or, or non-important, depending on the other's you know, human subjectivity, of course. I think what is important also is to remember that this is a median, indicating that, yes, some patients will just not benefit from the treatment, and we, and we will discuss uh, about uh, parameters and pronostic variables and predictive variables to better identify who benefits. But on the other hand, it means that some patients benefit much longer than four months. And this is why it is so important. Now, regarding your second question about quality of life, indeed in vision, there was clear indications that not only we, we were helping other patients with additional quantity of life, but also additional quality of life. And indeed, time to quality of life deterioration was significantly improved with a reduction in the risk of approximately 50%. And this also applied to time to deterioration in pain, which is so frequent in this patient, as you well know, Kent, because these men typically have bone metastasis. So that clearly supports to me the overall survival benefit. Now, Ken, let me ask you a question in turn. What is really the rationale for establishing PSMA positivity in these patients who are candidate for radioligand therapy? So, Karim, as you mentioned before, this is a targeted therapy. We technically use the PSMA expression as an anchor to deliver the radiation. And to be sure that the target is really expressed, we perform this PSMA PET scan to really confirm that the tumor which is present in the patient has enough PSMA expression that we have a fair chance to successfully deliver the radiation. All right, that makes all sense. So, in your mind, what are the ideal, let's say, screening criteria for PSMA-targeted radiotherapy? So, Kevin, this is an excellent question. It's a very difficult question. So, in the visual study, there was a PSMA PET-CT performed, including also contrast-enhanced CT. And the requirement was that at least one lesion had to be PSMA positive. And it was also important that there were no lesions uh, which were seen on the CT, which did not have a high PSMA expression. So uh, now a lot of people ask, does it even make sense to perform such a PSMA PET if 88% of the patients were included in the vision trial? But to be fully honest, and this is something we discuss very often is, even if you look at the success of the vision trial, we still have to admit that more than 50% of the patients who were randomized towards the lutetium arm did not achieve a PSA decrease of at least 50%, which actually, from my point of view, says that, yes, we need to select, yes, we need to use PSMA PET, but potentially the criteria used in the vision trial were not sensitive enough. We might be even a little more rigid in selecting these patients. Now, what is a perfect combination? What is a perfect cutoff? It's probably too early to tell, but there are two super exciting studies. One was a uh, study from uh, from the Australian group of the therapy sub-analysis. The second one is a spin-off from the vision trial from Villa Co. As the first author showing that if patients have an SUV max of greater than 10, they have a very, very high likelihood to benefit from the therapy. Excellent, Ken. Thanks. And maybe just to, to be very practical, in your routine practice, and assuming everything is available, what 
do you typically recommend? Do you typically recommend doing a an FDG PET on top of the PSMA PET or look at the CT scan or some other imaging? What, what do you do? So for real world, I really recommend the performance of, an F, of, of a PSMA PET and in addition to this, a contrast-enhanced CT. This is a one-stop shop technique and I think provides you plenty of information necessary to identify good candidates for PSMA reliance therapy. So Karim, when you decide on the treatment for your patients, what are clinical prognostic variables you like to rely on your treatment decision? Yeah, that, that's that's very important because as you rightly said, not all patients are candidate or best candidate for a PSMA targeting using radioligand. And indeed, I'm looking at, like you as a PSMA pad to make sure the, the cancer expresses protein, but also I'm looking at the CT scan and to make sure there is no discrepancy. I'm also very cautious every time it comes to liver metastasis. And this is because often some of these lesions are indeed PSMA negative, especially if I have the option to discuss other therapies such as taxane, cabazitaxel, for example, uh, was potentially an option uh, in a patient's candidate for vision then I will really pay attention to that to try to make the best decision. This is also important, I think, to look at the biology of the disease. If, for example, this is a patient with BRCA alteration and he has not received yet a POP inhibitor of platin, I would probably give it uh, the, give this treatment the preference before moving to PSMA lutation. And just to, to close this uh, session, Ken, we just saw new data from a second phase three trial, PSMA4. Can you just briefly summarize this for us? The exciting part of PSMA4 is that uh, it's actually moving PSMA ligand therapy in the pre-chemo scenario. Patients in MCRPC after progression to an ARPI were randomized into an ARPI switch versus up to six cycles of PSMA ligand therapy. And the two high-level findings were, the first of all, the RPFS was 12 months compared to less than six months for the ARPI switch arm, which I think is pretty impressive. Hazard ratio was 0.43. And the second thing, which was actually even more impressive for me, is if you look at the toxicity profile. Because uh, patients in the PSMA ligand synapy arm had less grade 3 and 4 toxicities than in the ARPI switch arm. And uh, I mean, one big question is, how is the overall survival going to look at? It's something we probably have to, to wait a little bit. But I need to point out that 84% of the patients actually had a crossover from the PSMA reliance therapy arm over to the ARPI arm. Overall, from my point of view, very exciting data. What do you think, Karin? I fully agree. Thank you, Ken. And let me give a couple of takeaways for those who are listening to us. First, I'd like to remind that we now have two randomized phase three trials establishing the role of PSMA-directed radioligand therapy. Vision shows overall survival benefit and RPFS benefit. And uh, now PSMA4 shows in patients in an earlier setting a clear benefit in radiographic progression-free survival, which actually comes together with clinical benefit as measured as time-to-pain progression or time-to-quality-of-life deterioration. Second takeaway, 
we should absolutely make sure we select the good patients for PSMA therapy. PSMA PET is part of the selection process together with other imaging uh, technologies, CT scan in general, but some others would argue that uh, FDG PET uh, should be uh, done. But also the biology of the disease and clinical parameters can help us to decide whether this is the best treatment to give at this time, as opposed to the other treatments we have available for patients with MCRPC. With that, I thank you very much for your attention. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Karim Fizazi from uh, Gustavus Institute in Belgium, France. Welcome to this peer-to-peer panel discussion on targeted radioligand therapy for men with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. Joining me in this program is my uh, great friend and colleague, Chen Herman, from the University of Hessen in Germany. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Karim. I'm really excited to discuss with you three interesting cases today. Yes, we have selected cases because we, we thought it would be more practical to try to explain and debate where we currently see uh, the place of PSMA targeting using a radio ligand. And I'll start with uh, uh, this gentleman who is 72-year-old, and he had actually a quite nasty metastatic prostate cancer, which was de novo disease. Uh, with a PSA of almost 100 at baseline. A glycine score uh, was uh, actually not defined, and uh, he had uh, quite many bone metastases. At this time, he received ADT and Dostaxel, but this didn't really work. And just nine months later, he was progressing with castration-resistant disease. So at this time, his oncologist proposed an AR pathway inhibitor, which did a better job for almost a year. But again, 11 months later, aggression was there again. At this time, a PSMA PET was performed and showed lesion, both in the bones and in the lung, which clearly expressed the PSMA protein. The patient remained at this time in good performance status performance stages one. So Ken, what do you think? Is that patient a good candidate for PSMA lutetium or should we consider other treatments? So this is a very interesting patient and it's very important to discuss these kind of patients in the multidisciplinary tumor board because they have a very complex history as you just showed. It's not a typical vision patient because the patient has had one line of novel antiantogen in the MCRPC setting but no chemotherapy. Uh, as he is not fit for chemotherapy uh, and PSMA positive, he would be definitely a candidate we would discuss. His platelets are a little bit limited, 85,000. It's not the perfect candidate, but it's definitely a patient where we would discuss. And based on what I see here, uh, I think at least in Essen, there would be a high likelihood that we would offer the patient PSMA reliance therapy. But we would closely monitor, of course, the platelets and the hemoglobin to be sure that we do not uh, cause too much toxicity with the PSMA reliant therapy. Karim, how, how would that system been at your side? In a similar way, or? I, I think we, we clearly agree. I mean, those are difficult decisions, and obviously 
you need to intervene as fast as possible in these situations because the cancer can really grow super fast uh, when it's aggressive like that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say totally that is not a candidate for a taxane with 85,000 platelets and a good performance status. But actually, I'm quite with you. Given that you, you didn't really benefit from the stack cell, is quite unlikely to benefit or please benefit long from cabazitac cell, even again, if I would not necessarily totally ex exclude that. I would probably recommend or surely recommend actually a um, molecular assessment of the uh, tissue or um, of the blood to try to, f to make sure that he has no BRAC alteration or MSI high phenotype, because this would be a good reason for me, of course, to discuss a PARP inhibitor or even immunotherapy, respectively. But otherwise, I'm, I'm with you. I would have uh, uh, probably uh, re recommend uh, treating this gentleman with lutetium PSMA in a very careful manner, um, and, and uh, especially with a platelets. But let's move to a second case. Uh, and this is a gentleman, actually a gentleman of mine, 43-year-old, quite young for for a man with uh, advanced prostate cancer. He was diagnosed with metastatic uh, de novo disease, uh, with castration scientific disease. Obviously, his PSA was very high, 400 or so. Gleason score was 7. He had both lymph node disease and two bone metastases. He was one of the first patients enrolled in the PS1 phase 3 trial. And he, I think he was lucky enough to be randomized in the ADT plus Aberratron arm. And actually, this worked very nicely from 2014 to 2020 with a PSA of 0.2 and totally asymptomatic, generally while tolerating the treatment. He experienced in 2021 an oligo progression that we treated locally and then with a dexamethasone switch instead of uh, the prednisone, but that didn't really work. Uh, actually, it was very clear that he, he didn't want the start cell chemotherapy because he had a bad experience in the family with chemotherapy. But this time, the PSMA4 trial was arriving, but actually for months, lutetium PSMA was just not available because of the supply problems. So he had to wait and wait, and he was patient. Uh, his PSA was rising, he was not deteriorating clinically, and finally we could enroll him in PSMA4. He was lucky again, and he got, uh, he was in the lutetium PSMA arm. He, he tolerated very well the six cycles of lutetium PSMA with a nice decline in PSA from about 40 to about 15 when uh, we finished uh, the treatment. Uh, but I just saw him a month ago and his PSA keeps declining, even if he finished lutetium PSMA uh, some months ago. So right now, a quite nice story. Any any comment about this, Kenan? This is an excellent case because we can see a couple of things. So first of all, we can see really the power and the potential of the PSMA-4 study, really showing that patients pre-chemo can benefit a lot from the therapy. The second thing is, which is very nice is we know from a ligand therapy that the therapy effect can be even longer then we really give the radioactivity. So that's something we have seen in thyroid diseases as well, that you can see an ongoing effect 
uh, even at a later time point, as in this case, where you can see even a true decrease of uh, further PSA decrease uh, uh, to, to what we have seen here. And the third point I think is very important is the supply chain issue, which was a problem in 2022. It was very painful for all of us, not only for the clinical studies, also for the clinical service. But the good message is that now in fall 2023, the supply issue is solved. And I think this should not be a problem anymore for the future regarding the supply of the TCMP music hard 17. Yeah, and, 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 and just to, to support what you say, and may, maybe to add, I think we have, you know, we just spoke about lutetium PSMA as a new option. Uh, this gentleman was one of the first to benefit from early abiratron. And it's really you know, one drug after one, or sometimes several drugs together, which are active. With a, and, and those treatments are clearly postponing death and symptoms. And very obviously, this patient benefited from, from the two new treatments, abiratron and lutetium PSMA. For the sake of time, let me move to a third case, which is actually more challenging. And this is also one of my patients, quite young. And like the, 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 the one we just discussed, is actually a BRCA negative patient. This one was 57 year old, and he was diagnosed also with the nervometastatic disease. He actually had a history of melanoma when he was 30. So I don't know what the gene issue is, but it probably has. So uh, poor prognosis. A metastatic disease, GLISM-9, PSA of uh, 600 or so. Initial therapy was based on ADT plus dostaxel, but 18 months later, he experienced a progression. Abiratron was not active, cabazitaxel was not active, enzalutamide was not active. And when he came to me, I had him tested for germline, uh, and actually we couldn't find any uh, significant alteration. Uh, so he, we proposed him to be candidate for a vision trial. This was uh, back some years ago. And actually, he received lutetium PSMA, which was well tolerated. We could deliver safely six cycles. But his PSA declined from 300 um, to, I can't remember exactly, but you know, not that much, let's say 300 to 200 or something like that. And uh, the the benefit was not very long-lasting, so I gave him a chance with carboplatin, which actually was active, believe it or not, against his pain. And he could, you know, benefit clinically from that until almost the end. He could play golf just a week before, uh, before he passed away. I have to say that this was associated with significant platelet toxicity. Hard to say whether this was cancer, lutetium, PSMA, carboplatin or or all viewables. Any comment on, on this gentleman, Ken, please? I mean, two important things, I think. Uh, one is, uh, despite we do select patients with PSMA PET for, uh, for reliance therapy, it's it's true that not every patient benefits, and especially not uh, 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 for a long time. This happens. Uh, the second thing I think it's interesting here is to see that this patient really, despite having a lot of disease, had a very active life. So we see that quality of life plays a very, very important role. Uh, the third thing, which I think is important to say that, uh, of course, when you look at this patient, you look at the history of the patient, you think, uh, when we talk about the evolution of reliance therapy, that this might be a candidate in the future for uh, alpha PSMA. And there are a couple of very interesting studies ongoing. For example, the action study, 
uh, where we see uh, activity escalation using actinium PSMA 617. And, and this actually could be a good candidate potentially for this new therapy. Thank you very much, Ken. I think it's time to wrap up. And I'd like to say that we now have a new options for all patients with lutetium PSMA in different situations, post-taxane and hopefully soon pre-taxane based on the PSMA4 recent data. PSMA PET is here to help us for decision-making together with other parameters, other imaging modalities, but also clinical parameters. And we have to learn, to continue learning how to best use lutetium PSMA either alone or maybe in combination soon in the future uh, in, in, the, in the context where we have multiple other treatments for all the patients. With us, I thank you very much for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.